Blog Talk Radio. It's that time again. It is KWAD time. This is Patty Holstrand, and this is, again, KWAD Radio. We don't usually do a show on Sundays, and it's usually because I try to keep that open day to do all the other stuff I have to do and actually spend time uh, away from the computer a little bit. But this this is compelling enough reason to start a program today. Uh, We're going to host a program today for a local business that is trying to get their movie done and we had covered Locker 13 and uh, and the group that's working on this particular project in our first issue of the Watt newspaper and we're so happy to you know that they came back to us and said hey you know I we we could really use some help uh, that they're trying to do is is I got a call from Adam that's uh, one of the producers and he said they're trying to go from 50 backers to 100 by tomorrow <laughs> I said well you know it would have been nice if I would have got a little more notice <laughs> but I just think that you guys can do it and he said you know even if it's a dollar at a time uh, he said it, it would definitely help and also it would give the, the rankings higher on Kickstarter and, and allow them to get featured which of course could lead to even more money from more notice or noticed by others. So, all you peeps out there, this is KWAD Radio, and we want to help. So, all you peeps need to go to this page as we talk about this. Uh, we've got John on the phone here. Let's out. That's him. <laughs> and. We're going to talk about the movie. We're going to talk about the set. And give you guys compelling reason to help out the organization who's trying to get this project finished. So with that, John, are you there? I'm here, Patty. How are you? Good. Hey, I gave I gave the pep talk. <laughs> I gave the pep talk. And uh, you know, we're going from uh, what looked to me to be from 50 backers to 100. We're trying, we're shooting for 100 new backers for you by tomorrow. Yeah, I feel like kind of like we're doing a telethon, don't you? Yes, right. Wouldn't that be fun? Well, so we everyone... appreciate you taking. We do appreciate you taking your time out on a Sunday to do this because I know, as you said, you don't normally do this. So we're very grateful for the opportunity to to get on the air with you. Yeah, the only person I usually wind up doing a show on Sunday for is my partner. So <laughs> I said, you well, know, the only other way to get it done by Monday is to do it today. Well, so, thanks. We're grateful. Yeah. And also, you know, since people are home on the weekend and uh, and they, they listen, and, and we got a very populated very quickly on here, by the way. So you've got a lot of listeners right now. So say hello to them. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting Locker 13. Uh, it's a project that we're very passionate about, and 
at the risk of being braggadocious, it's quite good. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it is a different and it's very, what I would call uh, a project that is encompasses a lot because you really, I think, reached really far uh, in trying to get a, a movie that has multiple parts. Uh, so tell us how how that came to be because it's very interesting how that uh, how you have so many different stories all in one movie. Well, my partners uh, in the project, the, my fellow executive producers, are Adam and Donovan Monteris, and they started a company called Brothers Inc. Productions um, several years ago, and they basically mastered the short film genre. Uh, they're three-time Emmy Award-winning short filmmakers, so they really, really know what they're doing, and I'm just grateful to be along with them. Uh, when it came time to do our first feature film, which even for independent films right now, the average independent film is between 12 and $15 million, uh, we knew that it would be really, really difficult, regardless of the three Emmy Awards, to get funding. So we came up with the concept of Locker 13, which is very similar in feel to the old Twilight Zone episodes and similar to the Twilight Zone movie that just celebrated its 30-year anniversary, came out back in 83. It's about Locker 13. It's five individual vignettes that are molded into, the, uh, into a feature-length film. So... There are, I don't want to call them flashbacks because not really, that's not really what they are, but contained in the film are five separate stories that are all rotated around and, and tied in by a mysterious Locker 13. Mm -hmm. The reason we did this is simple. Um, we could attract very high-profile actors and crew uh, from Ricky Schroeder, who's won a Golden Globe for the champ and been on Lonesome Dove. Everybody knows Ricky Schroeder. Uh, to crew members like Russell Carpenter, who won a, an Academy Award for filming Titanic. Um, by shooting um, in L.A. in three- or four-day blocks, it's a lot easier to get high-profile actors and crew to attach themselves to your project. They don't have to be displaced and go to Louisiana for a week and Indiana for a week, and, you know, they stay home and they get to work in their, in their own neighborhood. That helped and they believed in the project. They believed in not just the, our story as filmmakers, but the story of Locker 13, the written story that's really, really compelling. So we approached several people, and the more we got on board, the better and better the synergy became. And we have filmed all five of the segments and concluded the last shoot here in the Phoenix area at an Old West town and are currently in post-production. Uh, but as happens to a lot of independent filmmakers, we've essentially tapped out all of our capital resources from families and friends and everybody uh, who could help us in any way they could. So we've turned to Kickstarter, which is just an amazing crowdfunding platform to help raise funds for not only post-production, but the more we raise, the better the film will be and the wider audience will be able to release. Definitely. Our Yeah, our original goal was very fluid. We knew we wanted to make a feature film, but we wanted to keep our options open because in the context of the film, each of the individual chapters are around 15 minutes in length, 15, 18 minutes, which lends itself to half-hour episodic television. When you watch a half-hour TV show, it's basically 22 minutes and the rest is commercial. So 
we wanted to keep the project fluid and that we could develop it into a TV series, a web series, TV movies, a regular a regular half hour, you know, kind of a Twilight Zone type television show. So we've kept our options open then and still still have the, the possibilities of doing that. We have about 65 scripts, individual stories for this concept. So we could do a whole other four or five films or release it as a television series after this initial film is done. That's awesome. I mean, you know, the fact that you're already prepared for expansion, which is which is always wise, but I was noticing on your on your Kickstarter that you know, you're looking for an original an original 25,000 goal for this for for the end here. What is that going to pay for exactly? Um in right off the bat, the money that we get will um, go to post-production. The more we can get, the better sound effects we will get. Um, when you watch a film and you see somebody walking, well, you don't see a microphone down by their feet. That's done by a Foley artist who actually watches the film and has all of the sound effects. Some of them are practical. They'll have a piece of wood with shoes, and they'll walk and record that sound and mimic what you see on screen. Um, the more we raise, the better the Foley will be. Um, there's color correction where they actually take frame by frame the film that you're watching and adjust the color to make it just right. That costs money. Uh, very good sound costs money. A good musical score costs money. All of those things uh, really add up in post-production. So the more we get, the better that can be. And then above and beyond, if we reach our goal and we have some other stretch goals in line as well, if we reach those, it helps with marketing. It helps to be able to get distribution we have a limited theatrical release um, that we are going to be doing locally in the Phoenix area, and we would like to be able to have you know the cardboard cutouts that you see in the in the theater lobbies. Those cost mm -hmm. money. Posters cost money. The more we raise, the better the posters can be. So it all goes to um, the post work because everything is filmed and in the can. Yes, and and what's good about Kickstarter and and, and having these kind of you know goal stretches. Um, which helps to you know once we you guys make the twenty five thousand, it starts going into the next goal. So that's definitely very cool because you know then we can be a part of that, uh, you know, making it even better. But yes, you know, you know, we all understand that that these things really take a lot of they take money. It takes, it takes time and it takes equipment and, and things like that. So that's that's definitely understandable. But you know, I really love how you explained how the sound mixing. Uh, works and and how and I I know I didn't really think about it, um, not being able to hear somebody walk uh, or, or they're scuffing, you know that lends to the idea of, of what the what the character is about, um, the scene and we don't think about that that has to actually be dubbed in. <laughs> it does and the average major motion picture that studio production now averages around seventy million dollars and. They estimate that most of the marketing budgets are around $35 million. So you, whatever you raise to develop the concept, to all the, do the pre-production work, um, and everything in pre-production, when you have an idea for a film, to make it as efficiently as you can, you don't just get out there with actors and crew and fire up the camera and say action. Everything is planned, every single shot, every detail of where the camera is. And we have a brilliant graphic artist on our team um, named Adam Devaney, who is an illustrator for Disney. And he does an entire storyboard. It's basically a, a comic book, a cartoon, where 
frame by frame by frame, he draws in the characters, what you see in the background, which way they're facing. All of that is done in pre-production so that when we get on the set, um, every single second is of our time and money is spent efficiently to make the best film that we can. Yeah, and even, and even though you plan it, sometimes there's always unplanned things, uh, weather issues, and, and you know, I was looking at your set. Uh, you're out in the, as I would call, the sinking desert. <laughs> well, and, we are. We, you but know, that's the original, one of the sets, apparently. Yes, the original story, I'm sorry, was um, we wrote was going to take place uh, where a young man is employed at a bus stop, and his, the night watchman slash janitor at the bus station um, teaches him what his job responsibilities are. Well, as it came time to shoot the last segment, we did not have a location for it, and a good friend of mine who's also um, very supportive of the film and one of our um, financial backers, David Smith uh, lives on some property on the edges of Fountain Hills, and he's got about 23 acres out there, and he's always been a fan of the Old West and a Western historian aficionado, and he decided he wanted to have his own Old West town, so he slowly started building it, and we hooked up a few years ago and said, you know what, why don't we change that part of Locker 13 about a, a young man who gets a job working at a at an Old West amusement park? So that's how that, we... Yeah. <laughs> so we kept the project fluid like that, and it actually has turned out so much better. The production value is amazing. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful town, and once the movie comes out and people learn about it, uh, it's going to be a very popular popular place because it is just beautiful. Yes, it is. It is pretty easy to find uh, once you know where it is. <laughs> and it it, well, it is yeah. a great little town. It's got everything there. Uh, it's amazing how he built that. You've got you've got a you know even an area where it's a front uh, you front facade and and then uh, you have an open open building in the back. Uh, you know you've got everything you need there. He got the bathrooms there and you know but you you've got all the different uh, uh, facades there. You got your jail. You you've got your uh, bird cage theater. You and the church. The church is absolutely astounding. I I you know I I keep telling people about this church that you guys built out there. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. It's uh, so detailed and the, and the stonework is beautiful. The uh, the you know I I think he spent more on that church than he did on the rest of the entire town. But it, it is really amazing job he's done out there. And of course I guess they have you know, weddings. It would be a beautiful place to have a western wedding out there. Uh, so it's it's yeah, absolutely a- awesome place. Thanks. One of the uh, you know initially it started out for his idea. Um, was we needed a Model T for one of the segments um, called the Benevolent Byzantine Order of the Nobles of the Enigmatic Oracle. Yeah, say that three times fast. (laughs) Um, Which which was written by a local um, filmmaker, Bruce Dellis, who also directed it and wrote it. And He's um, been one of our great, great friends and fans and uh, with us every step of the way through this. But when we needed a Model T, we were going to rent one down in Tucson, and I got to talking to my friend David, and he said, you know, I've got one. My grandfather's got one back in Minnesota or Wisconsin, but I need to ship it out here. So I said, well, listen, we were going to rent one for $400. I can't pay for the whole thing, but I'll credit you $400 toward the shipment. So he shipped it out. We used it, and he didn't have anywhere to put it. So I said, well, let's just build a little garage. So we built a garage down below his house, and 
on some flat land, and that was the beginning of this idea three years ago, and now it's a it's a whole town, but it is private. It's on private land. It's really not for commercial use, but uh, he let us use it for the film, and, and we don't know what the future will hold for it. Once uh, once he's done with all the county inspections and all that, if, the, if there's opportunities, we may be able to do some things. One of the prizes that we do have on our Kickstarter page um, one of the for the one of the bigger prizes is an actual wedding. You can, if you uh, pledge a certain amount, you can get married in that chapel and have your reception there. So, that's one of the nice pledge prizes. Yes, and you have to see if you guys go down to the Kickstarter page, which I gave you on the uh, the chat section down below this the show. There's a chat section and and there's Kickstarters right there. So you just click it and it goes right to the page that we're talking about. If you scroll down the page, they've got like the pledge amount and what you're going to get, which is really cool. They've done a, your designers done a really nice job on this, and uh, there's a lot more detail than I've than I've seen almost in any Kickstarter. Uh, but down in pledge five thousand, you got a wedding right there in that chapel, and so you've got a picture of it. So, um, and of course, I also included some pictures of the interior of that church in the newspaper. Of the wad, so that way you guys can see that, that the stonework and the and and the glass is just totally beautiful now. Well, we awesome uh, are real very proud of it, and I uh, did have done most of the construction myself. I have a carpentry background, and and uh, I have pretty much done a lot of it the last two years between this and Locker 13. That's pretty much all my life has been working in the Old West Town and working on the film. Uh, we do have one of our other pledge prizes is the opportunity, if you're local in the Phoenix area, um, for a $100 pledge for you and two people. You can come out to the Old West Town, walk the streets, uh, watch an advanced screening of Locker 13 in our replica of the Birdcage Theater and have a full chuck wagon dinner. So it's like a night out at the movies, which is a pretty good deal for for a hundred bucks for a couple, so that's on there. You can get uh, lots of memorabilia from the film. That our original intention was to keep and, and save it, but Kickstarter is just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. We've learned a lot about how the inner workings of Kickstarter works, and there's some pretty staggering statistics. If you can get uh, your project on their homepage, uh, which is worldwide, but they feature films and music and different products, if you can get on their homepage. Uh, you stand about an 81% chance of reaching your goal. If you don't ever make it to the homepage, you stand about a 30% chance. And one of the ways you get on, yeah, it's amazing. And they're not really looking at, uh, they look at several factors. They do want to see the integrity of the project, but they also like to see the number of supporters you have, and that's why we're going for the 100 supporters um, by tonight at midnight. That's what our, our goal is, because that'll help us get there and, it's you know it's all politics and pandering. You do what you got to do to get on there, but that's really the best way that we'll be able to achieve our goal and, and just create a great project. Yes, yeah, so peeps out there, you really need to you know even a even a dollar at a time, any little bit helps. And you know just so that way we meet our first goal, which is you know showing Kickstarter that you guys got supporters. And you know uh, you know come on guys you in Arizona you cause this is an Arizona movie this is an Arizona I mean you can even see the I mean the Western town itself is, is worth just being able to to uh, to support so definitely get uh, you know get on Kickstarter and and give them a little bit to be able to get that because we need 50 backers by tonight 
So I know you guys can do it. You know, I plan on being one of them. So, you know, I put my, my money where my mouth is all the time. All the time. So, you know, come on, you step forward and, and do a little bit of help here and get, and it's, <laughs> we're going to make it happen, okay? Uh, that's And that's really what this, this show is all about today. Well, anyone who's hesitant to do it, because I know some people are uncomfortable with the Internet and, uh, you know, secure sites and all that, Kickstarter is run by Amazon. So they, for one thing, have an interest in it, and they are very, very reputable and obviously have grown immensely as a company, so they're very, very safe and secure. And the funds will not be um, – once we reach our goal is when the funds are released. So if you go ahead and sign up now – we have every every anticipation of reaching our goal and even one of our first couple stretch goals. But um, the, the campaign does not end for, I think, 35 more days or 34 days. So it's all in hold then. Once, once the um, 40 days are up and we have reached our goal, that's when um, we, we get the funds. So if you don't have the money now or you're or hesitant, uh, you can you can go a month if you if you pledge now and at least it shows that we've got some more backers and some more supporters. Um, you don't have to pay anything for another month. And like you had said, Patty, it ranges from one dollar to I think ten thousand dollars for the premium premium package of the um, killing gloves that Ricky Schroeder wore in the film, which um, are very very dear to us. So we all kind of fought back and forth about whether we should give those up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you you're giving some of the pieces worn in the making of this move of these movies. So, you know, that's definitely something you guys can I know how many how many of you are out there that, that love collectibles and love collecting movie memorabilia. So come on, you know. I know you guys go to, to other things and and spend a couple hundred dollars on a on and something that's and he's even got a boxing robe here, the boxing robe used by Ricky Schroeder in the film. You got to plus two hundred for that. So, you know, that's really nothing. I know you guys spent more than that on a lot of memorabilia. So, uh, you know, definitely make it out, make it happen, guys. But you know, the first goal is we need to make sure that that they can get on the front page so that way they can get seen by so many other people. Um, and it is a good point. I'm glad you brought that up about the fact that you know if you can't pay for it now, it's not, you're not asking for money today. You're asking for a pledge. And pledge means that you know within 34 days, if when, once they get their their reach their goal, then uh, you know Kickstarter will come to you and get the money. Yeah, that's another 34. That's a month. That's more than a month away. So if if you know you're going to you get paid a certain time, then you know you're going to be good for it. So think about that when you're looking at these items that that you know that you can get for the pledge. You know, I, I've talked a little bit about Rick Schroeder and the, and the role that he plays as a boxer, and that's just a very, very short, just one of the actual little segments or chapters in the film. Um, the main actors that come on in the film are John Grise, who everybody would recognize as Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. Um, he's also been on Seinfeld. You, I know, I think you met him in December when you were on the yes, set. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed I him. You talk I interviewed him. Great guy. Okay. Yeah, he's he's wonderful. He was great. His, he he drove over from LA. He doesn't like to fly. Plus, he brings his two little he dogs with him. Dogs. Who just kind of, <laughs> you know, they just kind of wander around the set. And you know, you spend months and months and 
you know, years working on a project, and all of a sudden you see uh, two dogs in the scene, and we're, like, looking at each other, like, going, Did, who wrote in the dogs? And it's like, well, we don't – there are no dogs in the scene. It's like, well, I see dogs. So, so you're like, okay, well, we'll deal with that. But he was wonderful and gracious, and even when he rapped on the final day, he stuck around to talk to people and meet people. Um, but he's one of the mains, and a, and a local Phoenix actor named Jason Spisak, who has been in the movie Piranha, and he's a master voiceover guy. He does voiceover work for the Green Lantern and the Star Wars, the Clone Wars. He is a phenomenal actor, um, and he plays uh, the role of Skip, who's a young, kind of a down-and-out kid who gets this job as a night watchman. And uh, his boss, Archie, tells him, you sweep here, you clean up, and he shows him the chapel, and he shows him the blacksmith shop and the birdcage theater and the saloon and tells him, whatever you do, don't open Locker 13. Well, of course, we know he's going to open Locker 13. Um, <laughs> always. <laughs> it's always. Um, but some of our other cast members uh, are include, like, Rick Hoffman, who right now is on an, just a great, great, he's got the role of a guy named Lewis Litt on Suits which is on the USA Network, and it's blown up. It's it's a wonderful show, and he uh, is just got to play the role of a hitman in one of the segments in Locker 13. He's amazing. Um, we've got Curtis Armstrong, who was uh, in... I mean, this is, this is how Curtis Armstrong's career started off. His first three movies were Risky Business, Revenge of the Nerds, and Better Off Dead. Wow. And yeah, every, I, I know a bunch of friends who him. about that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's been in Aquila and the Bee, and he played, um, I think, the manager in Ray. He uh, does voiceover work on American Dad. He's in it. Um, Jason Marsden, who is, is probably the hardest working voiceover actor today, he was on General Hospital. He also co-wrote one of the segments, and that's the beauty of this project. It's so good, and everybody gets involved. Ricky Schroeder was going to direct one of the episodes. Uh, he wanted to, but contractually he was going to, but we just couldn't uh, get it to work out. He was in Spain and he was here in the States and we went back and forth and it just didn't work out and we really missed that because he's just a pleasure to work with and a great guy. Uh, but Jason Marsden also co-wrote one of the episodes and directed one of the segments. Um, Marina Benedict is in it, who you can see her right now on Burn Notice and True Blood. Uh, Krista Allen, who was in Liar Liar and Rules of Engagement. Uh, man, John Polito, who's been in all the Coen Brothers movies and Miller's Crossing. Wow. Um, Tatiana Ali, who's been on Young and the Restless now for probably six or seven years. we got huge people in it. And like I said, Russell Carpenter working behind the camera. All of the top L.A. people, as soon as they hear one person's on it, it's just the synergy that, that you get. And great production people, John Goldsmith, who's a major production designer in L.A., and Billy Myers was our makeup man who did Tom Hanks and Castaway, and it's just so much fun to get wow. all these people around and 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 help create a, a great project. It's just been amazing, and we had a lot of local people too: Bob Rue and Kathy Rankin, who live here locally; Steve Briscoe, Jose Rossetti, um, Lamar Newmeyer, who's a very talented comedic actor. So there are a lot of different people in a lot of different segments, but the Locker Thirteen is what ties it all together, and we can't wait to get it out. Definitely, and I think by having so many different segments with so many different people that are working on it, I think that's helped you get so many good names here. Um, you're right. We got The reason we got Curtis Armstrong was because we also had David Huddleston, who was in The Big Lebowski. Uh, he was the real Big Lebowski, not the Jeff Bridges character, and he was in Blazing Saddles. Well, Curtis Armstrong always wanted to work with him, 
so we spoke with his manager and said he's in it, he's in it, and just got everything together. And that one we actually filmed out at the Sorrel Lake Guest Ranch out in East Mesa um, with Bart Johnson as well, who's, who plays Coach Bolton in all the high school musical films. So it's uh, you, you're right. You get one person, and, and you never know the, the chemistry between everybody. And, and so many actors want to work with other actors, and actors just want to work. They right. they want to work, and, and we, we found that out with this project. We It's low budget. We, like I say, we raised the money with friends and family, but we didn't have to pay these actors. And in order to get them, um, we would send them the script if they liked it. And a lot of times it's difficult to get scripts to to major actors because if there's no money in it for them, there's certainly no 10% for their agents or managers. And sometimes they don't even pass the script on. So you have to circumvent them sometimes and, uh, you know, do that in uh, nefarious ways by getting it to the actor, finding out where they're at, where they're working, and uh, get them a script. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I, I think uh, you know I know the authors know what that means, is they uh, they have to circumvent uh, sometimes uh, the uh, people in charge in order to get to the you know people who make decisions, and so they, they have to go directly to the publisher rather than than going around editors. So you know whatever way to get in front of the people who uh, you want to actually do the show for you, you know, to, to do these parts. Uh, and that, and that's great. You've got some some names that I know a lot of now. You know, I'm telling telling you guys, you guys are sitting out there, and I know you, a bunch of you are sitting there listening to this because I can see you. And you know, you're you're sitting there wondering, well, well, how can I get involved with this? And it's really easy. You just go to the Kickstarter and help. Also, call in right now and talk to them. So I give you guys the number seven one four two four two five one four five. He said, Stan's asking, what's the easiest way to make a pledge? And I'm going to give you guys the the, uh, Kickstarter right away here. So we've got somebody already wanting to know. How can they they give a little? There there it is, Stan. I'm giving you the Kickstarter project website for for them to, for you to click right there and it goes right to the page. Take a look at it. It's really well done uh, project planning here. Um, you've got a lot of great, great things that you can invest in, and definitely take a look at it. You know, scroll down and really look at the page because they got some great stuff. They also included, and this is what's great thing about this. By I'm just going to go with this again. Your cast, you've got your information down at the bottom of the Kickstarter on all these different people that he's talking about, people that you guys know from all these other movies and television shows. Okay, so really. You guys got to get on here and take a look at it because it's, it's a really terrific job they've done on the cast. Uh, you guys know these people. There are movies and television shows that you guys love, I know, because I know you guys. And, you know, even my son, who's 19, said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you actually talked to John. <laughs> Uncle Rico going to play a dynamite. He was freaking. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, he does eat meat. Oh, okay. There you if go. If anyone was wondering, I know in in the polling dynamite, he always spits out to me, but uh, he I know on the meat on the set rather he he did eat meat, so he said, "Yeah, I eat meat." <laughs> so now we know something we didn't know. So it, you know, and he was a great guy. He took time you know, to talk to me. Uh, you know, got to listen to a funny story about him and the other John from from the polling dynamite. Uh, you know, they've been doing uh, the cartoon characters from Point Dynamite in, two, in in 2012. So it's it's definitely is relevant now because of that. 
And you know, he, he's still doing Uncle Rico. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, and so it's all these people that we've seen for years and a lot of different movies and shows. You guys got to take a look at this at this Kickstarter and find out about all these people because I know you guys know them. Know them. And so, you know, give give something to, to help to, to, you know, get this thing on. As I tell you, there's a lot of people who are just really, really want to see this. And obviously, obviously the actors, the actors that have been working with you guys really want to see this finished so they can see their work up on the screen. Yeah, we're going to be posting some um, in in the coming weeks some clips with some of the higher profile actors and trying to get some more television um, airtime with them. And uh, if if not, we'll fly out and meet with them and film some little um, segments that we can update on our Kickstarter page. But yeah, they can they can go to Kickstarter.com as well and just search Locker 13, and it does come up. And uh, like yes, that way too. Yeah, I did it's that just to make sure it's easy to find. Yeah, it's very easy to find. Um, when you were talking about uh, writers and how to get to publishing houses, distribution with film is the same way, and that's always one of the intangibles that's frightening. But the landscape has changed so much in recent years. They used to, you know, use the term self-distributing, but it's it's really not that anymore. It's alternative distributing, and uh, we know with the quality of the film that we have and the and the awards that we've that we've won, uh, we know we'll get distribution. It's just a question of who we choose because we've learned from a lot of other filmmakers who've who've gone down this road, the best and the worst ways to distribute. Uh, but again, one of the advantages that we have is this is not a traditional film in that it's you know 100 minutes with the beginning, middle, end. All of the segments stand alone, so that the yes. opportunities are are really endless for for what we could potentially do with the finished project. And those who didn't hear earlier, they've got a bunch of other other scripts that they can do after after the movie gets out, you know. You guys got it ready to go. So you you got to market. You just got to get the the first one out the door, so that way <laughs> that way you can we make will. others. You know, we uh, when we originally conceived of this idea, we did um, open it up to writers all around the world, posted on the internet, and we asked people to submit uh, their own um, short story up to 15 pages that has a locker 13 in it, that has a beginning, middle, and end. That's low budget, so no, uh, you know flying monkeys or battleships or volcanoes. It's got to be low budget, something that can be filmed, you know, relatively inexpensively. But send us your scripts. And we received, I think, over 200 scripts from all around the world, from as far away as Hong Kong. And we put them in front of an independent panel of judges who read them, rated them, chose them. We narrowed it down to the top 25 that we liked, narrowed it down to the top 10 that we like, and uh, fortunately for us, which gave us validation, um, six of the top ten were actually written by uh, me and my partners and, and members of our company. So that was encouraging that we felt that we either that we know what we're doing or our ju- the judges didn't know the names of any of the writers or anything. They liked it. So we whittled it down from there, and that's how we ended up with the top five. But it, it was uh, an Internet-based idea and reached out to fans to see what they want, and that's what we're trying to continue to do. We got some incredible scripts from some first-time writers that we're, we're keeping in our coffers and would love to be able to use for a Locker 13 Part 2 or webisode or series or wherever the project may end. That's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for them. You know, get their name out and, uh, and you know, get, to, get some work. Obviously, they need that on their 
their uh, you know information about themselves and and resumes, so that way they can say, hey, I I actually wrote that script. I know a lot of script writers who love who would love that chance. So I want to also well, let you know that Sam says thank you and hello, John. <laughs> from from who? From San. He is the one that asked about the you know, what's the easiest way to make a pledge. So he said thank oh. you for the information and, and hello, John. Thank you very much and hello. Now understand that even though you guys might be putting money into this, you're not going to see it show up. It's not like a telethon where you can actually see the, the change as you give money, okay? So uh, it does, I think, uh, I think midnight, uh, wherever lock, uh, Kickstarter happens to be, I'm not sure, it's probably Florida, uh, it will change over uh, how many of our backers and, and, and the pledge amount will change over after midnight. So it's not going to show you that you that your money has, has gone in right away or anybody's. So if you guys are waiting for somebody to do the first deed, uh, don't do that. <laughs> That's not the it way is. that works. <laughs> no, it's not. It's uh, It does lag a little bit that way, but it is... Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. So many major projects um, have been funded with Kickstarter, and it's just a fantastic way for fans to donate a little bit um, to show their support. You know, a few years ago, you would see mostly independent projects on Kickstarter, but now we see some of the people that are pledging us have pledged to 10, 20, 30 other projects, some of them very, very high profile. Uh, that just, you know, it, it's the landscape today. You, We've all gone to the movie theater and seen movies where we're like, what in the world is going on with this movie? And it, even the latest Johnny Depp movie, it's it, it, it's good. Um, but, you know, we saved every single penny that we have raised for this film has gone on the screen. Um, we've had an office in people's homes. We've had P.O. boxes. We've done what we've had to do to get it made. But none of us as filmmakers in this received a penny in salary or anything. We Every dime we made that we raised, we stuck on the film and did what we had to do, designed our own sets um, with the help, again, of our brilliant production designer, Adam Devaney. So we didn't waste any money. So we wonder, how can films be so expensive and so bad? But it all boils down to the story. Uh, and that's what Rod Serling said. If, uh, if an audience will sit and listen and watch a well-told story, and uh, I kind of say that in our Kickstarter thing, but but I believe that I love the Twilight Zone, and every single yeah. one of those stories was so compelling. We wanted to capture that. We do have somebody on the line. Are you ready for a call? Sure. Okay, number four two four three. Last four digits. Are you there? Yes. Hi. Hi, my, hi, my name is Peter. Uh, I'm an actor uh, living in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. And my friend uh, Jimmy Gambina actually had worked on technical advisor on the uh, on the project. How was it working with Jimmy? It was wonderful. Jimmy is uh, amazing. Everybody walking, watching Jimmy and working with Jimmy is like, we got to get this guy on film somehow. He trained Sylvester Stallone in the original Rocky yeah. movies, and uh, we just thought, and John Voight in The Champ. The movie the that, champ, yeah. which is ironic that that Ricky Schroeder was in when he was nine years old and won the Golden Globe. So he saw Rick, who he hadn't seen in thirty some years, and it was really, really a special moment when they got together. But it, we couldn't have done it without him. Russell Carpenter, who was our DP, um, 
told us that filming boxing is so difficult. It is such a hard thing to shoot because of the very nature of boxers spinning around in a ring and the camera can't be seen in the audience, and it's very, very difficult. And Jimmy helped us so much with, with that, and, and we've got great footage and some clips. I think we even have a couple of stills on there of Jimmy with Rick and uh, just mugging it up, but he's a wonderful guy. He was a blast. I I don't think we'll do another boxing film, but uh, or at least a segment on boxing, but It'd be fun to work with him because he's great. He's a great guy. Yeah. So, uh, did you everybody get the information about how to help with this Kickstarter? I hopefully. I know that there's some people who are, into, who are definitely saying that they're that they're already going on there and they're, you know, they're definitely giving right now. So any other any other questions? I think we lost them. Yeah, we lost them. I think we lost them. Well, that it, yeah, it, that it was is, nice. It is great. It is great to hear from people who know uh, those who are have worked on your project. It, you know, it is, and that's one other area where you know, for a low budget film, we didn't have to hire a boxing trainer. We could have just went in there and faked it, and um, but. To make it good and to make there's nothing worse than watching a movie and get pulled out of it, or you're like watching yeah. it, you're into the characters or you're into the story, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, that that guy's not boxing. You wouldn't box like that, or you wouldn't dance like that. So we made sure let's get uh, we, it has to be authentic, it has to be good, and it has to look real. So we so we were lucky enough to get Jimmy to come on and, and do all of our boxing training for everybody. Herb Dean is in it also who is, uh, plays a trainer, he has a real brief part, not a speaking part, but he does, uh, I saw him last night, and I went out, and he was on, a, he's a referee, I think, on some mixed martial arts thing, and I'm like, hey, there's her team. He was in Locker 13, so. Yeah, it's fun to see, when you see people out there doing other things, and say, oh, wait a minute, I know him. <laughs> yeah, I know him. He was in our movie. <laughs> it was in your movie. So, at what what are you working on right now with the project? Are you editing at this moment? Um, no, our our final um, edit is done. With, which is what they call a locked print. So the print is locked. There'll be no additional editing done to it. Now we may still take out a few things. When you have a big budget film and you have the money and the time, uh, you can screen it, and they've got audiences that are. Uh, movie screeners. They go to a theater, they sign confidentiality agreements, they take away their cell phones and recording devices, and the people promise not to uh, release any information on the film, and they see the film months in advance, and they will watch it and give you their opinion, because no matter what you do when you're involved in a film, you're so close to the project, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, and it's like, does this work? Does this work? And you do it over and over, so we um, don't have that luxury to do that. But we've got uh, we're working on a couple of different little tweaks uh, that we want to run by some some people that we value their opinions on movies. So we're going to do that. But for, other than that, for the most part, the, the film is locked. We're just going through the post production process right now. There's a wonderful filmmaker in the valley um, named Frank DeBugnero, who was the DP on one of the segments. Um, called Suicide Club that we shot over in L.A. He's doing all, most, mostly all of our post-production work, and he's just brilliant. So he's got his hands full with uh, all of us looking <laughs> over his shoulder. Uh, that's the hardest thing, too, with uh, when you write something and 
then you produce it and then edit it. You you have to be willing to relinquish control of it and allow an editor to make the necessary cuts where they think it is. And if there's a scene that you shot that you remember the whole day of shooting and planning and then all of a sudden it's in and you watch it on film and you think, you know, this just does not move the story forward, you have to cut it out. And that can be a hard thing for a for an amateur or independent filmmaker, but uh, the good ones allow that to happen because in the long run it makes the movie just a lot better and you have to let go of your babies, as they call it. Yes. Yeah, uh, and I talk to authors about that all the time. You have to be willing to cut scenes and, if, you know, or cut characters because if they just simply end there and there's no real reason for them and you're not planning on using them later, uh, you've got to cut them. Yeah, they're not supposed to be in the story. They, <laughs> they need to get out of there. And, yeah, it's it's part of that creative process, uh, you know, that, that you have to know when, again, when to let it go. And also, even more harder is where to cut and, and when to cut. It, it's very difficult, especially writing. When you write, it's just easy to delete this character in these scenes. But when you go to the trouble of filming and hiring the person and wardrobe and makeup and getting on the set and doing the shoot, and if it doesn't work, it's very, very difficult. You think, wow, I just hate to cut this. We went to all that trouble. But uh, the, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's the story that has to take center stage and that's what you have to do I remember on one of the segments that we shot in LA um, with Ricky Schroeder the, the boxer there was a scene that just was not working and it was I think the fourth or fifth the last second to the last day or the last day of the shoot and it had been like a 14 hour day and everybody was on edge and we were getting frustrated and it's like come on we got to get this and when you when you shoot film obviously well maybe some people don't know but you very seldom shoot it in the order that the events take place in the story sometimes you'll shoot the very end first and then you'll shoot the middle whatever works uh, financially whatever's more feasible and cost efficient is the order that you film so it's up to the director to really make sure that the actors remember where they're at emotionally in the scene that you're shooting that day. It's hard for actors to do that, but good directors can can get them to summon that energy and that emotion that they were in, knowing this is where you're going to be, even though these events haven't happened. So we were really struggling, and my partner Adam had to pull Ricky aside and talk to him, and Donovan, his brother, um, pulled the director of the piece, Matthew Mebbin, aside, and we were just kind of calming everybody down, trying to get the scene to work. And our makeup guy, Billy Myers, just stepped in and said, listen, I have an idea. The character who was the main um, protagonist at that part of the film was supposed to play this demonic, evil guy, and the scene wasn't working. He says, let me just touch up his makeup. So he went and touched up the guy's makeup under his eyes, made him look evil, and we got back on the set, and it was just amazing how everything clicked. And it was... I got goosebumps right now thinking about it. It was just terrific, and that's the beauty of film. It's such a collaboration that everybody, everybody on the film was involved, and if he hadn't stepped up and said, let me change his makeup, something as small as that, as that it you know really could have hurt the quality of the film, but because he did it, it's beautiful. And it, that just goes to show you that it's not just, uh, it's not just the director. It's a whole, everybody should be involved. There's a whole thing. Yeah, and that sometimes is greatly lost in major motion pictures because there are so many egos in L.A. and so many egos with, with people like that. Everyone we worked with in L.A. on, on four different segments always said, man, we'll work with you guys anytime because we don't care. We're, we are the producers of the film, executive producers, but 
if trash needs to be emptied, we're there. If something needs to be ran, I had to run and pick up John Polito's suit because he had the wrong suit. We didn't have any runners to go, any PAs to go, so I said, I'll go. I jumped in our rental car and took off and went and picked up his suit on the in Inglewood and came back, and you do what you have to do. So we don't care. Maybe we're naive. Maybe we're just excited, but we will do whatever it takes to get the best quality film we can. We're not in it for, for us. We're in it for the project. There you go. We got somebody on the line again. Number 8133. Yeah, hi. This is Jimmy Campina. Yeah, oh, Jimmy, how you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Good to hear your voice, man. Hey, it's good to uh, it's good to see something happening with Locker 13 because you know, in, in my mind and my heart, what I did with Ricky Schroeder was the same thing I did with John Voigt, and and like Ricky Schroeder became the champ in in Locker 13, you know, and and that's the character that that I that I brought to life in the champ. I brought it to life with Ricky. But I only had uh, minutes with Ricky, where I had months with John. You know what I well, mean? It's yeah. like with Stallone. I had, you know, like you were saying, you have to put it together for for the for the for the for the, the production, for the value of what you believe in, and the value is to entertain the masses out there that need to know about down and out and about different stories about different people so that I, I can't relate to cartoons I can't relate to robots I can't relate to stupidity and that's all I see in the film industry and to me Locker 13 was very special and had a lot of special people and I love doing it well we uh, we couldn't have had anybody more influential on us because again like I said there's nothing worse than watching uh, a boxing film or where they're not boxing. You can tell they're not skilled. They've not been trained properly. And and I even forgot that. You did not have very long with Rick. I remember the minute that you got on set, you guys were immediately together and going over different moves and different uh, boxing poses and punching styles. And uh, it, we we got that in quickly. Now that, now that, uh, you know, that was one of, the, one of the first segments that we shot. So uh, I, I completely forgot that. But, gosh, it's good to have you there. Uh, you know, I, I feel privileged to, to – to, to have been there and I was just hoping something would turn out with this because you know when you sacrifice yourself or you dedicate yourself to projects or the film industry or the entertainment industry to any degree you 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 hope for appreciation of the value of putting your heart and your soul into it but you know most people in this industry I don't find that anymore and I've been in the industry since 1955 and I learned a, a, a system that works every time. In other words, I did Rocky. I did the first Rocky. I did Saturday Night Fever. I'm the guy that made John Travolta a star. I'm the guy that made uh, 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 Robert De Niro a fighter because I spent over a year, close to a year and a half with him. But I didn't like the language. I didn't like the, I didn't like the characterization that they were bringing to the screen. To me, in the 40s, if you behave the way they behaved in the 40s in New York, you know, you end up in the East River with cement shoes, you know, because you didn't act like that in front of your in front of your mother, in front of your aunts and your uncles. You talk like that, like I told you. You know, I couldn't act like that in the 50s and the 60s, let alone the 40s in New York. And that's what it was about, Jake LaMotta. And Jake LaMotta, you know, I'm sorry. Why don't you tell a story about a great, some great guys? And, and Jake LaMotta was by far not even close to being a great guy. And there's been a lot of great guys, a lot of great fighters. But nobody knows about me. Do you, do you, do you remember Henry Armstrong? 
I'm sorry, who was that? Henry Armstrong. Henry Armstrong. He held, yeah, he held four titles at one time. Before they had the junior this and the junior that, and the you know I'm talking about legitimate weight divisions that he held four titles. And no, he went for the fourth title. It was a middleweight fight that he had to gain a lot of weight, and he and he gave a lot of sides to, and and he lost a split decision. In other words, there's some there's been some great fighters. Joe. Uh, you know, one of my favorites, I think the last of the great fighters, in my opinion, is Joe Frazier. He was the last heavyweight champion. These other guys, I, Lennox Lewis I had at my house for five months before he fought Gary Mason. And I know his attitude. I know his procedure. I knew his training program. The, the, he was just a big, strong kid that knew how to box. And, and he had an advantage over everybody because people don't know how to teach boxing because they don't know how to condition people to Make them feel natural in the ring because it's a very unnatural sport. As you, as it you can tell, well, you, the job you did with Tommy, Tommy Novak, who is Rick Shorter's character in Locker Thirteen, is is great. And you, yeah, people didn't know that about you in Saturday Night Live. And I mean, you you worked with Sylvester Stallone, and you were in, Saturday. you worked with Rick in Black Cloud, I know, and uh, yeah. you were the idol maker, were you trainer, the idol maker. They took they took my name off the credits when I made Arthur. And why they took my name off the credits, I'll never know. But that's when I realized this business is so political that if you don't go along with the with the social venue, that you're out. You know, and, and I, I'm Italian. I was, I'm a Sicilian. I, I'm a part of the Gambino family all my life. And so the genes are there, okay? But the, the fact that I got in the motion picture business saved my life from a lot of stupidity, okay? Because I well, love to entertain people. Well, we hope uh, you have continued success yeah. doing that, Jimmy, and I uh, hope you uh, get a chance to see Locker 13 when it comes out because uh, you did a great job with I'm looking forward to You did a great job with Ricky. Well, well thank good. you so much, we appreciate and it's good talking with you. Yeah, you too, thank Jimmy. you. Well, talk to you again. Thanks. Okay, and have a great week, huh? You too. Yeah. Thanks for the support, Jimmy. Okay. We appreciate it. Love you guys. God bless. That was a, it's always great to hear from people who work with you and uh, you know, get their their takes on on the, what they've done and and you know their part. They're excited. They're excited to be part of it. Yeah, you can you can hear that from him. He's and, and one of the things I'm sure everybody could detect is is the frustration that you get with studio films, and that's why, like Jimmy alluded to, that there are so many bad films that just. Uh, they're not. There's no heart and soul to them. It's just a, a product that they're using cookie cutter plans, and they get it out there with this actor and this, and they spend all their money on marketing, and they make major films have to make. They try to make a third of their film in the first week. If they don't make a third of the film in the first week, they will not break even because it just gets bad press. Uh, we don't have to have that problem. We know what our project is, and you could hear from Jimmy how, how much fun he had on the set. So that was nice to hearing from him. Yes, it definitely is, and it was a surprise to hear from them. Apparently, uh, you know, you guys got the the word out that you're going to be on on the radio today, so that's great. Uh, it's always great to to hear from those people. Uh, we were, I think, we we're talking about uh, the editing process and what stage that is at. What's next for you guys as far as getting this up up on the screen? Well, when we get the finished project back, which we're hoping is in, uh, depending on what happens with Kickstarter, uh, in the next six to eight weeks, 
Then we will um, work on our marketing plan and the distribution plan. There are lots of different uh, venues and different methods of, of distributing film from selling off foreign territories. Um, we're pretty low budget, so we're not as worried about that, about, about recouping all the funds for our investors and, and families and friends. Um, but we'll work on distribution and we'll work on uh, our coming projects and uh, our limited theatrical release. We want to have a nice limited theatrical release. We have a tentative um, release set through um, Harkins Theaters locally. We're still working on that as far as all the uh, um, dates and all that, but uh, we hope we'll be in some select theaters locally. And uh, work on our contacts um, for this, for DVD sales. You know, it used to be when they would say a film went straight to video or straight to DVD, that was always such a negative connotation in the past. That that mm. meant your film was bad, and it's just not like that anymore. So much so much money is made from for companies that release films um, very limited theatrically, but through Netflix and Redbox and Hulu and Amazon and all of the all the other um, distribution methods that are available today. So. We'll take our breath after the Kickstarter campaign and then work on the next phase of uh, of marketing. Yeah, it, it is a good point in that times are changing. Uh, we see that, obviously, in the book industry. Uh, you know, Going to e-book directly is, is no longer uh, a negative thing either because actually that's where all the sales are being done. Uh, yeah, you do need the books in order to sell yourself, but really that's the only way is really that the, the print books are even being sold anymore is personally. So uh, you have to get out in ebook format, and then and that's where you're going to wind up making you know your your fan base too because they can afford them. Exactly, and and it helps to have that fan base that can support whether they uh, buy a DVD, whether they see it in the theater, where they get it on iTunes. Um, that's one of the true advantages of being uh, an independent company aside from a major studio in that you don't get stuck in a catalog with 200 other films that are all very good. Some are good, some aren't, but you can control your destiny a lot more. It's a lot harder, and there's a lot more legwork uh, involved, but you can reach the specific audience that you know likes your film and wants to see your film, likes the characters in it, knows about it, and uh, follow up that way and just have a much more pinpointed, accurate, and much more efficient release platform. Hmm. I, I do know some people who are interested in, in see, actually physically seeing a script uh, for a pledge of $10. You guys can get the ebook script, uh, digital copy of the Locker 13 script, plus a digital copy of the Locker 13 Presents Pulp Nor Short Story, which is Capacity to Kill. So there you go. If you want to see a script that's already been worked on and, and, and it's actually a real real script, you guys can get just for a pledge of ten dollars for, for from them you can you can get one of those scripts to take a look at and see how they designed it. Uh tell us about capacity it, it, to, to kill. Um that is a short noir story that was written by Donovan Montierith who's one of our executive producers on the film and one of the co-founders of Brothers, Inc. It's uh, in the same genre of kind of a Twilight Zone feel with more of a film noir, a detective kind of feel. Uh, it's something that lends itself to the subject matter of, of, of the film, but not doesn't really fit in exactly with, with the Locker 13, but it's uh, one of the film, one of the projects that we are still working on. You know, we I think one of the other pledge 
mounts on there has a graphic novel because graphic novels are so huge that we actually have a graphic novel for um, the boxing segment um, with Rick Schroeder. And it's uh, it looks like an old-fashioned, you know, pulp magazine uh, comic book kind of a look, but it's you can definitely tell it was done by a local Boy, I, mean, I can't believe I can't remember the guy's name. I gotta look it up. Adam, oh, shoot, I'll have to figure that out. Who 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 did that for us? And it's just brilliant. But it's one of the other ancillary marketing tools that you have for for the project, not just the film, but the scripts, the short stories, uh, the graphic novels, all of that. So that's a little bit about um, capacity to kill. And just to let you guys know, um, I probably shouldn't have mentioned anything about the robe because those two are gone. <laughs> so somebody's already got the two robes, uh, boxing robes yeah, we, from Ricky Shredder. You know, I think we have some gloves that are remaining as well. But yep, yeah, the we robes. Do. Yeah, we knew the robes would go. You know, there's some great stuff too from um, Byzantine. We've got some fez, uh, the old yeah. style fez that were worn, and, and some of the cloaks and. I don't know if the paddle has gone, but yeah, the the, the prizes are going through uh, quickly. But that's what we want. We want people to to have this memorabilia from the film, and then they can own it and look at it on the screen and say, "Hey, there's the fest. There's my robe. There's the boxing glove. There's all the yeah. different different things that are offered." Uh, they, you have one backer for the cloak, red, the red velvet cloak used in the lodge members in the film. Uh, there's a limit of three, so only two more of you can do that, and that's 125. I mean, you know, the cloak itself is worth that. And let alone the fact that it's from a movie. So, you know, these are definitely good prizes for people who want movie memorabilia, which I know many of you out there do. Uh, the suit jacket uh, from, again, you're talking about the Lodge uh, Insignia Patch with the, with the Insignia Patch. Uh, you have no backers on that right now. You have limited you have 15 of you that can get that. Uh, that's just $200 for one of those. Uh, boxing gloves. Yeah, the robe's gone, but the, there are individual uh, signed boxing signed boxing glove, one boxing glove uh, left or right, signed by Ricky Schroeder, and used in the actual making of this movie. So you got two backers right now. You have six more. So only six more of you can actually get that. So you guys, yeah, take a look in the sides and see great stuff that you guys got going on here. You know, I think the uh, the robe, the yellow jacket that was worn by Bart, Mus- Bart Johnson, anybody who's a fan of the high school musical movies, um, he's that big studly-looking guy who plays Coach Bolton. He's really cool. We have the yellow jacket that he wore. He was another actor that we were really lucky to get. He was just He's such a popular guy, and he's just the kindest, nicest, sweetest guy on the set. It's nice to see. You hear all these horror stories about actors and their egos and all their demands. And, and when you're on set with them and they're just normal people and you're just hanging out, initially you might be a little um, taken aback just by their fame. But then once you start talking to them, they're just normal, regular old people. And, and that's how Bart was. He was just the coolest, nicest guy, and we've been in touch with him since the film and, and watch whatever projects that he's involved with. But anybody that's a fan of the high school musical films, that would probably make a really, really nice gift because there's only one yellow suit jacket in the whole film, and that's the one that, that, that Bart wore. Yeah, that would make an awesome Christmas present for anybody out there. And also, let's let you know, for a pledge of $50, you guys can get the digital bundle. So you receive the digital version of the movie within days of the movie's release. Plus the e plus the ebook script and the comic, so you get all that for fifty, which is an awesome deal. 
uh, for 25, you guys get your credit for in the actual uh, film as a backer on Kickstarter. So if you want your your name on a movie, there you go. Uh, yeah, as that's we were talking, one that we... I'm sorry, go ahead. We did, as we were talking, apparently we, we did get a couple people who, uh, one person who bought the uh, e-book script, so... <laughs> This goes to show you. Oh, yes, I guess we are seeing some. You're seeing some backers already, so that's awesome. Well, if anyone has ever read a, a script or seen how a screenplay is written, it's really interesting. It's so different than reading a, a novel or anything else. You, I like to get copies of my favorite films. Uh, one of my favorite films, and I'm dating myself, is The Graduate, and to read the actual shooting script because they've got um, production scripts that they. Um, can determine how to make the movie, but then they'll have a shooting script that has modified little changes in dialogue and direction that were determined during um, some of the pre-production work. And it's fun to follow along and see what the actors say uh, because it's just very, very different than watching the film. That's one of the other collaborative things that when you get on the set, so many actors are so good. And, and when you write it on paper and you say it over in your head as a writer and you read it and read it and you get what you think the actor would say and try to get in their voice, when you get on set, sometimes it's different. And actors will say, you know what, I don't know if he would say that or I don't know if she would say that. And let's try it this way. And, and it just clicks and it's just magical. And the beauty is you get to take credit as a writer even though you didn't really write it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just to let you know, Stan has Stan has said he made the pledge, and uh, he says to remember the high school days. Oh, Stan. <laughs> yes, I think I saw Stan on Facebook the other day, so thanks. Well, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I did go to high school here locally, so it's nice to get support <laughs> from a lot of uh, a lot of friends that I knew in school, and uh, it's great. It's just a wonderful opportunity for us. We've you know, worked hard, not that uh, other filmmakers and business people have not worked hard, but uh, it's a difficult <laughs> business to crack, and there's a lot out there, but I'm just fortunate to be blessed to be associated with some really, really talented people, so. You know, so thanks, Dan, for, for pledging. We we definitely uh, like to get more of you on, involved in this, and, and you can follow Sam's uh, pledge and, and, and get on there and, and of course I already know somebody had, had already got one of the copies of the script so there's a lot more to be had there so we need to get on the block of 13s if you don't see it down below then definitely all you, it's very easy to find go on to kickstarter.com under search projects at the top on the search bubble you just write locker 13 and it comes right up because really there's nobody else there. And what it does, it gives you a little uh, window of uh, who it could possibly be and Locker 13 comes up first. You click on Locker, you know, click on that that uh, item and then it goes right to the, the page that I'm talking about. So it, let's say you can't find the, uh, or don't see where I'm writing this in, that's fine. Just go right into kickstarter.com in the search and then write in Locker 13. It's really easy to find. They can also search on uh, on Facebook. We have a uh, naturally have a Locker 13 page and there's a hot link on there as well that, that they can click on and, and go right yes, to the Kickstarter definitely. page. I'll also put that down there on the chat area for those who, uh, who, who can see it there. I'll do it again because, you know, we've had people who are going back and forth, coming in and out of the show. So uh, it scrolls down, and then somebody's not going to see it. So 
I'm giving there's the Facebook page again. Also has some really great pictures of the actual town, so that way you guys can see like a, uh, a full view of it. Uh, I've got a great view of the water tower, which is so cool, and of course of the church. And and the, the picture of the church is just really nice because it's, it's a nighttime church. You can see the desert surroundings, and uh, it just reminds you of a real movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, it, it could be some movies we know about from the past, you know, high noon, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, we were very fortunate that uh, we were able to, to film there because it's, uh, nothing has been filmed there and uh, it's unique and beautiful and it's in our own backyard and it's, uh, I've learned so much about the West from, from Dave Smith, the proprietor uh, of the town who just loves the old West and he says, you know, when you, you see a lot of, places that have wild west towns that they've built that have facades. They're all old, nasty barn wood that's all faded and old. And, and the reality right. is it did not look like that back in the 1880s. It was very colorful. The cowboys and everyone, they were very flamboyant in their attire, and it was very, very colorful. And, and the Birdcage Theater that's there, that's a replica of that, um, is almost true to scale. And the inside is the same. I just completed building a big uh, 15-foot bar with a back bar and inlaid with oak and it's a beautiful bar that I'm very very proud of. We'll be posting some photos of that too and some other um, shots and that's where you can uh, walk the streets and, and hang out inside the birdcage and watch a screening for the uh, $100 pledge for two people. And we're anticipating that will be in uh, October. That's awesome. Now I know that you actually have a locker. There is actually a locker and I know there's a story about how you found that locker. You want to tell us? About, well, let's see, in which segment? Because I know we have five different lockers and five different segments. Oh, okay. I didn't realize you had multiple lockers. Um, I yeah, didn't know that. that um, refresh my memory. I know that you were you were filming the segment with John, and you're uh, the major characters here. And, of course, you're the major characters. His role character. was Archie. Archie, Skip and yeah. Archie. And uh, they were right next to, you know, the locker, and he was being bullied. Um, he was, of course, he was, a, he was a character who was in trouble, and so he brought the trouble with him. <laughs> and so we, I saw the scene where the, the bully was actually uh, slamming him up against the locker. Okay, yeah, that's Jose Rossetti, who's the hardest-working local actor. He... He also co-wrote one of the segments and is one of our producers on the film, and he's an actor, and Jose is constantly working. He uh, splits his time between L.A. and here. He's in L.A. a lot more than he is here, but, yeah, he uh, kind of throws him up against the locker. I don't want to give away too much until uh, it comes out, but, uh, yeah, he's got a great, great sinister role in this. <laughs> So you got multiple lockers. I know that you guys went out and found these. Yeah, each, um, you know, the number 13 has such a supernatural connotation, and uh, some of the locker 13s are a portal. Some of them just contain uh, mysterious items. Uh, the Byzantine section of the film, that locker, is in a wardrobe area, like in a um, like a health club is a big, big old locker at a lodge um, where Fez-wearing businessmen conduct their um, 
bizarre initiations. One of them is in a wealthy, wealthy guy's flat. Uh, another one is in a boxing training room. So, and another one is in the uh, employee break area of a Old West amusement park. So, there are multiple lockers in multiple locations, but they all have something mysterious happening with them. Right, and that's short. The yeah, that locker is is in all of the different scenes, and that and that's why it's, it pulls the stories through and gives a continuity. Right. Right. So that's that's the important part is that is that this locker has to be in in all these different stories in order to pull that you know general uh, idea of locker thirteen through the through the different episodes. So that's good. It's it's good to know that they they look different. Yeah, it's uh, you know it again. They're not uh, the number thirteen has just such a mystical aura about it. So that's why we chose the number thirteen, and it's just a good. A good way of uh, containing mysterious elements that uh, lend themselves to things like Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt and Outer Limits, <laughs> which all those shows that we were huge fans of that are great stories. And we're still huge fans of. So, you know, that's, that's, I think it'll do well. Uh, we are getting you know, at the it, end here. So, I go was ahead. going to say quickly that, yeah, the Twilight Zone was, uh, the American Writers Guild just selected it as the third most influential influential written um, program in American history. Um, wow. Which is amazing considering it was, you know, 50 years ago and the thousands and thousands of episodic shows that have been written since then uh, that it was, uh, I think, behind uh, Seinfeld and Sopranos. So for something that's that old and half-hour episodic is phenomenal. So, yeah, we were huge fans of it. Rod Serling was just a genius, so... Yeah, yeah, and and actually I've been enjoying his uh, night gallery lately. I used to watch that a lot more when I was younger, but I, I've even grown even more appreciation for it now. Yeah, it's, it's uh, again another idea of it. It's the idea of bringing art, you know, and having stories within an art form. So uh, I thought that was really well done, and of course always have fun watching those kind of you know short. Short works, and I think short works actually are really uh, doing better now uh, because the younger generation likes things in smaller pieces. Yeah, I don't want to say that we're getting shorter attention spans, but if you watch a, an average commercial for a major product now, a 30-second commercial can have 60, 70 cuts in one 30-second commercial, this scene is just changing second by second by second. Nothing is held. And when you watch an old movie from the 40s and 50s, it's just this laborious, slow, methodical, uh -huh. just the camera never moves. And it's like it drives you crazy. So nowadays everything is so quick and so fast um, that it, it, it has to move. The story has to move. And, and you're right, there are some phenomenal short stories out there that are very, very well written. Because we've got all these shows to, to fall back on that are influential to us, like Twilight Zone and Seinfeld and Sopranos. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and so it's wonderful to see uh, this kind of short works. And I, I think that uh, if it reminds me of something, that, uh, the violin was kind Red of like violin. that. Yeah, Red Violin was, was one of those uh, was a short scenes that had something to do with 
the violin and that pulled the different stories, uh, you know, through it. And is I thought really well done again because of that. And here you guys are doing that again, and that's that's terrific. Yeah, thanks. That yeah, the red violin is about a Stradivarius that is. You see it from the 16th century, I think, all the different owners that it's had and the lives and the people that it's affected, and that's a brilliant story. There are there are several uh, films like this. Four Rooms is another one that uh, is a great, great film. It's a collection of four different events that happened in a hotel. I think Neil Simon even did California Suite back in the late 70s. That was yeah. a vignette type. Um, but James Jarmusch has a film. Um, called Night on Earth that has five different cab rides that happen simultaneously. I'd recommend that to anybody that wants to check out a great film. I don't know if it's on Netflix or anything, but it's called Night on Earth. It's really fun, and there's some amazing people in it. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it, it, it does lend itself to today's viewing audience, that it's quick and uh, the stories are good and fast-paced and entertaining, and it just keeps moving. Yes, and, and that's I, I think that helps. Uh, I think you're going to get a lot of different generations that are going to like this this film. I think you've got a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, we do. We've got, like I said, veteran actors like David Huddleston, who I think is, gosh, he's got to be uh, close to 80 years old, if, if not a little over. Um, he lives in Santa Fe. We flew him out here to be in it and had worked with him before in the, in the short film Reveille, so he was wonderful to work with, and all the way down to younger actors and, and uh, just uh, run the gamut because there's uh, so many quality actors out there, and we were just lucky to have them all, so... Nice David, yeah, David Hudson, uh, yeah. Blazing Shadows, and Grabowski. Yeah, and I think he's in the producers. So those are some of his bigger, bigger roles that he's done. But yeah, we were, you know, I don't want to say family filmmakers, but uh, the films that we like, we want to appeal to as many people. So uh, when we get our MPAA rating, um, it'll either be PG, PG thirteen, maybe. It's definitely not R rated. There's. Uh, virtually no, well, there's no nudity, there's no uh, gratuitous violence, there's no profanity, uh, nothing that you don't hear on regular network TV today. So we wanted to make sure of that because we want a film that everybody can enjoy and uh, we don't want our grandparents or or grandkids to cringe when they see it. So, <laughs> uh, Jesse Garcia you have in here, and uh, I, I know that there's there's a lot of Sons, Sons of Anarchy fans out there. Uh, Jesse's in that. So and adventures, you know, I know most people like that and CSI, but I know a lot of a lot of you out there are really into Sons of Anarchy right now. So uh, he's in the movie as well. So we need to make it happen. You know, get some more people to back it and uh, make this happen for the for the, that way these guys can be featured on Kickstarter, which has become honestly, uh, even if for those who were not actually trying to make money is still an awesome way to get out there and get known uh as a project or 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 as a business. So, uh it's our new way of marketing. It is. And the advantage that we feel that we have is a lot of the projects that you will see on Kickstarter are still only in their infancy. They're just basically in their inception stages. We're done for the most part. Everything has been filmed and like I say it's in the can. We just want to tighten it up, make it a little bit better. Um, our budget goal has been reached, and we uh, need to look for outside sources to help us, and Kickstarter is the best way. But the, our most of our risks, we feel, um, are, are already done. Those hurdles we've passed in getting the actors and getting all the production done 
we just want to uh, make this film the best we can and get it out to as many people as possible. And that's why we've turned to Kickstarter. Well, I know a bunch of us who, who have been watching this for a while. We were really looking forward to it, So, and, and, and myself as well. So, uh, I, I gosh, I wish you guys the best of luck. I know that you're going to make it happen. I'm so excited for you. Well, PJ, we're grateful for your support. Um, from last December to writing about John Grice, to even everything today, and uh, it's just we can't do things like this without support from people like you. So we are so grateful, and we'll uh, definitely reciprocate our gratitude. <laughs> that, that's it, I had fun going out there and seeing that town. I just it was such a such a joy to walk around and, and see all the different rooms, and so that was that was fun. And uh, I just love seeing stuff like that. And you guys are doing such an awesome job. And when you know, I want to know about it when you guys uh, beforehand, so that way I can I can get your the word out that you're uh, when you're going to be coming out, and uh, and get some people in those seats. Well, we will absolutely let you know. <laughs> awesome! Hey, thanks so much for coming on a Sunday. I appreciate you taking your time out. I know you don't normally do these shows on Sunday, and we're grateful um, for all of your help and for everyone that has contributed. And for those of you who are still listening and want to contribute, you can send us messages on on Facebook or on uh, our Locker 13 page, locker13.com. Any of those ways you can get messages. If you have any questions about contributing or if you have any apprehensions, we can answer all your questions. And I'll leave those fears because it's safe and harmless, and it's a great cause. There you go. At Kickstarter, again, it is a safe place because it goes straight through PayPal. Or, or not sorry, PayPal. It goes straight through Amazon. Uh, it's the other giant. <laughs> yes. They'll all uh, own so, us someday. Oh, yeah, they'll own it all someday. So, <laughs> so uh, you guys have a great night. It looks like we're getting a little bit of, of weather coming in. We're both in Arizona, so, so you know, the, the rain last night was, was good. And... Uh, yeah, it's always nice to see some rain in, in Arizona because we need it. Well, uh, thanks again, Patty. Now, will people be able to replay um, this broadcast, yes. or will it be available anywhere? This, this is one of those. This is one of those things that keep on giving. Because even if the, uh, just to let you guys know, if you have not listened to, if you've missed some of it and you want to go back and listen to it again, you can do that. But within about an hour, it will be going in, into an archive mode. And that's actually where I get a whole lot more uh, listeners in, in, uh, than just live because uh, obviously not everybody can, you know, we have no time to promote this. <laughs> and and also uh, the fact that, the, the very fact that it's on a Sunday. So uh, for those who missed it or missed some of it, you can go back and listen to it again in its entirety at your leisure. Uh, so it was one of those gifts that keep on giving. It will be, the show will be uh, available on uh, KWAD Radio for as long as I have an account. And they can find that at blogtalkradio.com? blogtalkradio.com slash KWAD Radio. Really oh, easy we'll to find. The link. Okay, we'll make sure oh, we get yeah. that link up too and spread the word. Well, Patty, yeah, thanks again so much for your help and we'll uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for your help. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. That was John. He's executive producer of Locker 13. We're so happy to have him on board today. And again, you guys, seriously, we need to make it happen out there for them. 
we got we do have some backers that came on and and uh, and have pledged. Thank you so much for doing that. Keep it going, guys. Even though we're not on live, uh, you know I you know I'm going to find you if you don't if you don't step up and do at least you know a little bit here to help. Uh, I plan on, on giving something to you again. I always you know speak with my words and I I make sure that it, uh, everyone can can find out more information about this Locker 13. And again, like you said, get on the Facebook page if you have any questions. They're willing to answer for you. Uh, I think that they got some great stuff to be able to, to uh, you know, to receive for your uh, for your pledge. And the money is definitely worth the, the items that they, that they're asking you to uh, to step up and pledge for. And again, this is the pledge is not due until they reach your goal, and that's not for another 34 days. So, you know, even if you don't have the money with you today, that's fine because you you don't owe that until that's they reach your pledge and, and their time has lapsed. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye for Sunday. And I got, I will see you guys again. I'm not sure when. Uh, sometime this week I have uh, somebody else coming in. Uh, I don't have that, that show set up yet, so I don't want to announce it. Um, but otherwise, uh, KWAD Radio, we usually have at least one or two shows a week. If you're interested in being one of our guests, get a hold of me on, on uh, KWAD Radio or get a hold of me through Facebook. Uh, also, we have a newspaper and uh, we always accept articles regarding anything pop culture. Uh, get a hold of me there at editor at the WAD, that's the W-O-D, the WAD dot net. So, Get a hold of me if you're interested in, in uh, doing articles, uh, interested in finding out more about this uh, project and any other movie projects that we promote here on KWAD Radio. With that, this is Patty Holstrand signing out on Sunday. You guys have a great weekend. <laughs>